What's up, everyone? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the ND Hackers podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How do they get to where they are today? How do they make decisions, both at their companies and in their personal lives? And what exactly makes their businesses tick? And the goal here, as always, so that the rest of us can go on to build our own successful companies. Today, I'm talking to John Doherty, the founder of a company called Credo, which is an online marketplace that has generated many millions of dollars worth of marketing work for SEO experts and other marketers as well. So, John, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Cortland. It is my absolute pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure to have you. I actually got the chance to finally meet you in person at MicroConf back in May. What did you think about the conference? I thought the conference was awesome. You know, the content was solid. The speakers were really, really good. But I would say that the thing that I took away from that the most was just that it is, it's one of the conferences, one of the, the most valuable conferences I've been to in terms of just the quality of people that are there. Everyone there is smart, interesting. You know, there's no one that's just kind of putting in their time at a company and, you know, looking to grow a little bit. Everyone is like working really hard and creative and trying to build something of value. So I, I thought it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, this was my second year going to MicroConf and I feel the same way. They've done an incredible job bringing in the right kinds of people who are serious about building a business or learning how to build a business or in many cases already are building a business. And I think meetups and to a lesser degree conferences have a reputation for attracting people who aren't really that serious, who just want to come to mingle but don't want to really go anywhere with it. So hats off to Mike and Rob and everybody involved for running a conference that really attracts very high quality people. And I think also them splitting out the with the growth track, which you and I were both at, which is everyone that's doing, what is it, 150K plus a year or something like that. And then they also had Starter for a couple of days after growth finished, where that was everyone looking to get started. So I, I think that split it out nicely that the growth track, we could focus on, you know, growing a business and people talking about going from, you know, 20K to 80K a month, um, you know, as like the guys from FOMO talked about is super valuable there versus others, you know, someone that doesn't have any revenue coming in, that's not really going to gel for them. So it was it was great. I loved it. So let's talk about how you've grown your business. Can you tell us a little bit about Credo? What is it exactly? How does it work? And why do people pay for it? So basically, Credo currently is a, best way to describe it is a lead generation service for digital marketing agencies and consultants. So what we do is help businesses that are looking to hire an agency or a consultant to do SEO, content marketing, link building, Facebook ads, AdWords, those sorts of things, help them to get connected up with the right agencies, continue those conversations, and then hopefully, ultimately hire someone to help them grow their business. I started this business five and a half years ago, which is crazy, beginning of 2013, because I saw a need. And then uh, it kind of ticked along as a side project for a number of years, for a couple years, two and a half years. And then I started working on it full time end of September of 2015. And it's been through a bunch of iterations. I've been through three or four different business models. And it was a fully automated marketplace at one point. I realized that didn't work and went back to a higher touch model. And uh, I've kind of been through a lot with it, but it's a good business. I think it fits a need in the digital marketing industry and it's afforded me a, a good lifestyle. So I have no complaints. Yeah, I can't wait to get into all these details about your business model changes and your realizations and learnings. But first, are you willing to share any numbers about the size of your company, maybe the number of employees and how much money you're making? Sure. So I tend to run the team pretty lean. My business coach would tell you that I run it too lean. So it is uh, myself working on it full time, um, as well as doing some consulting, some SEO consulting with some big companies. And then I have two part-time people at this point, one person kind of an admin uh, assistant and sales development, and then a, a part-time developer as well. So I run it super lean. I'm trying to, to grow it a little bit in that way, though still figuring out a lot of processes and roles and that sort of thing. On the revenue side, the business right now does anywhere between about 20 and 25K a month, um, just on the lead generation side and like the, the directory listing side. And have you raised any money or is this endeavor entirely bootstrapped? I have raised no money. Uh, it is entirely bootstrapped, mostly from uh, I started this company working on it full time because I got laid off. And so I had some severance from there. And then uh, I've also done consulting all along the way. And that's basically bankrolled everything. A lot of people have this dream of leaving their job, maybe not necessarily getting laid off, but quitting and then going to start their own company and then making multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars a year by themselves or maybe with a small team. You're actually living this dream. How does that feel? 
Uh, you know, it's both a dream and a nightmare sometimes, to be totally honest with you. Uh, it's, I mean, it's great. I'm the master of my own domain, right? For better or worse, you know, I get to work from home. Um, I call my dog my co-founder, right? He often hangs out at my feet and, you know, I, I, to a large extent, can set my own schedule and, you know, all of that. I can make decisions. No one can tell me not to do something specifically. So, you know, the world is kind of my oyster. All that good stuff. Yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, but you know, it is, it is a lot of fun. And ultimately at the end of the day, I love working for myself. I love not having a boss, you know, but, but it also has this very, very real challenges and ups and downs and, you know, businesses go through different stages and just because you've grown and, you know, it's managing a business that is doing, um, so in 2017, my business did about 350 K in revenue across the lead generation business and consulting and managing that size of business. And that was over double from the previous year. And it is so much more work to manage, you know, a business of that size as well. You have to automate a lot of things. Um, you have to rely on a lot of people and making the decisions about what to invest in, who to hire, what services to pay for, you know, for example, I pay for bookkeepers and accountants and, and that sort of thing so that I can actually focus on growing the business. All of those decisions become a lot harder as you grow, but at the same time, you know, they're growth problems. They're good problems to have. Yeah, those are great problems to have. So let's talk about how you've actually gotten to where you are. Because from what I understand, Credo is the first business you've started, which is pretty unusual for the people that I talk to on the show. What are some of the more influential life events that led you to this point? So as you said, Credo is my first business uh, that you know has ever made any revenue. It's the first business entity I ever formed. I've had side projects and such and you know, sold consulting before. Uh, and Credo actually came out of me stopping doing my own consulting back at the end of 2012. Obviously, I, I do my own now still. So what got me to this point is, uh, so I was trained as a web developer in college. I went to James Madison University in Virginia, where I'm from. And I uh, had a, an internship as a web developer at a software company in the Northern Virginia area, summer 2007. So we're going back a decade now, which makes me feel old. But I, uh, so yeah, I was trained as a front-end web developer and then was basically helping to run a company um, from Switzerland for about a year uh, where we were selling English language books, but we were based in French-speaking Switzerland. It was a bootstrap company, myself and the founder. And basically, I had to learn how to market things online. And so SEO just made sense. And so I basically started learning SEO and was blogging. We now call content marketing. And it just kind of came to me. It just kind of made a lot of sense to me and kind of how my brain is put together. So yeah, over, you know, over the course of my career, I, I helped to run that company, though. I wasn't the founder and you know, I, I was probably too inexperienced to really be doing it. And I've worked agency side, worked for a couple of different agencies and worked in-house for a couple of years as well, running uh, SEO, marketing and growth on a couple of Zillow's uh, sub-brands. So you know, I, I've kind of... I've built teams, I've grown teams, I've managed people, you know, I started stuff on my own, done my own consulting, you know, I'm dangerous enough as a web developer. I built most of the Credo platform myself with some help from some freelance developers, but you know, I think one of the biggest things that I've done over the course of my career is to kind of be a jack of all trades and be uh, know a little bit about a lot of things and know a lot about a couple of things. Were you always that way? Like, what were you like as a kid? Did you think that you wanted to be an entrepreneur, be a jack of all trades, or did you fall into this because of your job? Yeah, I don't know that I really thought about it that deeply, to be totally honest with you. I was always kind of a, a little bit of a lazy student. Um, I come from a family of educators. My father worked in higher education for about 30 years, and my mom is an elementary school teacher. And I was homeschooled until high school as well. So I, you know, didn't really apply myself a ton in high school. Didn't really have specific things that I really enjoyed. Ended up graduating top 10% in my class. Probably could have, I know I could have done better if I had worked harder. You know, I could have gotten a better SAT score if I had studied harder. But I basically just figured like, hey, this is, you know, I'm, I'm doing enough to get by. Um, and, you know, I'm happy. I've never been that person that I'm like, I want to have a, you know, $10 million a year business. or I want to get my MBA from Stanford or something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with either of those, but I just haven't been like that type of person, like super focused in that way really ever in my lifetime. So yeah, I, I like I like learning, I like reading. And you know, I've recently tried to dial that back a little bit and practice a little bit more just in time learning and you know taking care of things when they need to be done as opposed to, you know, oh, this strikes my fancy now, so I'm gonna do it. But and I think part of that as well is just getting a little bit older and, you know, having a business that works and having customers that are relying on me and having to be more strategic in that way. It's fascinating to hear you talk about how you weren't really motivated to try very hard at school and you didn't really give it your all. Because being a solo founder and being a jack of all trades 
really requires a substantial amount of effort. I mean, there's no real way that you can just phone it in. You have to try hard in order to get to where you've gotten. So what I want to know is what changed in your mindset to allow you to start and run Credo? Yeah, I mean, I think I had to find something that I was really passionate about and that really drove me. Not that necessarily I'm super passionate about, you know, generating leads for marketing agencies, but, you know, it's something that I can do and that I can do well. Uh, And I think, you know, passion only gets you so far. But and I've always had a good work ethic, but it was a matter of finding something that I wanted to really apply that work ethic to, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't really, I didn't love school. You know, I I don't love having a boss, which is part of why I work for myself, right? So therefore, I don't really enjoy having a teacher, um, you know, or someone keeping me accountable to things like that. So yeah, all all of those just weren't really how I was put together. But once I actually commit to something, like I, on my own personal website, my personal blog, I blogged twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday from the very beginning of 2011 until almost the end of 2013. So for about three years, I published two blog posts a week. Right. So I can keep at things and I can commit to things, but it has to be something that I'm really like committed to doing. It's totally underrated how much satisfaction you can derive from just being good at things. I remember being a kid and spending a lot of time on the computers. And a lot of it was just because the adults around me were encouraging and they would say things like, oh, you're really great at computers. Keep it up. And so I just took pride in getting that kind of feedback. And it's the same with running a business. If you find something that maybe isn't the most interesting thing in the world, but you're really good at it and you can take pride in being good at it, then that can keep you motivated when things get tough. Totally. And, you know, I think for some of us, just having a problem to solve is a big driver as well. Um, you know, I, I see people launching these, you know, people up on Indie Hackers or other places launching these, you know, SaaS apps for like, you know, scheduling social media posts. No one start, no one's like, oh, you know what I'm really passionate about? Letting people automate their social media accounts. <laughs> no one says that, right? They're like, hey, this is an interesting problem to solve. There's a business opportunity here. And so I'm going to see what it can be, right? And then also, especially developers are really good at building new apps and, you know, making things work. And, uh, you know, you can always move on to something else as well. Just because you built one tool doesn't mean that you can't move on and do other things or expand the vision of that company. And then ultimately, you know, shut down the thing that you started with. Like there's so many different ways to go with a business. So earlier I asked you about funding Credo and you mentioned getting laid off from your job and using your severance to fund your business. What's the story there? Yeah, uh, it's a it's a fairly quick story. I was working um, inside of uh, of Zillow Group, and I was I just moved over to a new brand. Um, I'd been running marketing on one brand and moved over to another brand that they had acquired, and basically some things moved around um, internally. And the team that I had brought over to that brand with me and myself ended up we ended up getting laid off near the end of 2015, end of September 2015. So I think a lot of people have been through that with you know acquisitions and moving into a new role and it doesn't work out and. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's part of a, it's, it's part of business. Um, it's actually interesting that a lot of people have, that I've spoken with, a lot of entrepreneurs and such as well, have also been laid off and actually started working for themselves because they got laid off. So I, th- I think there's something, you know, to that. Uh, just like when I worked for an SEO agency, we found that a lot of the best uh, SEOs that we hired had been former professional poker players. So I think it's the same way with entrepreneurs. Whenever I see a, a successful entrepreneur, I'm like, when were you laid off, right? Like, uh, and, and most of them have been. Why, after getting laid off, did you decide to go into business for yourself? Because I think most people in that situation would feel a lot of pressure to go and look for another full-time job. There was pressure. I didn't have the desire. So I, I did interview some. Um, and I had actually been interviewing before I got laid off as well, just kind of trying to figure out what was there. And my wife and I were based in San Francisco at the time. But I started uh, interviewing with some companies and you know, some called me back and had good conversations, had interviews, had a number of in-person interviews, and was offered three different director of marketing jobs in the next, in the next four to six months, something like that. And you know, I entertained them and it was San Francisco and they were director of marketing jobs. It was good salary. But basically my gut told me, don't do it. Like, don't take them. You're not going to be happy. You might stick around for a year, year and a half. And I, I didn't really have an interest in playing the startup lottery either. You never know with companies, especially if you're not the founder, like you're not controlling the ultimate destiny. And, you know, if you're kind of banking on stock being something worth something someday, then it's kind of a crapshoot. So I just, yeah, I I didn't really have the desire to do it. And, you know, I got laid off on a Monday and told some people on Tuesday. And by the end of that week, I had had a ton of people wanting to work with me and basically had to stop taking phone calls because I had so many people wanting me to consult with them. So, you know, I, I pretty quickly picked up a bunch of consulting work and I didn't have to go back and take a job. 
Um, and so I, I didn't and wanted to see, you know, what my business could be and always figured that I could go back and get a job. And, you know, I still kind of think about it that way. It's like, well, if it doesn't work out, I can start another company or I can just consult or I can go get a job. So there wasn't a, I have to figure it out in the next like month. Otherwise I'm not gonna be able to pay my bills sort of thing, you know, I've been fortunate in that way. So yeah, I just, I, I decided it wasn't for me and I wouldn't be okay with myself if I didn't give this a go. Lots of people who were afraid or concerned about the risk involved with starting a company, I think would do well to learn from your example or even my example where I can always fall back on my programming skills and I know I can get a job as a developer. So starting a company isn't that scary for me. And in your situation, you also had sort of a bedrock of skills you could fall back on and get hired whenever you wanted or find clients. And so again, starting a company really wasn't that risky or that scary for you. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's also the value of having a skill that you go deep in, right? We talked at the beginning about being a jack of all trades and knowing a lot uh, or knowing a little bit about a lot of things, but also having some things that I know a whole lot about. So for example, SEO, right? And, you know, I've been in SEO for almost a decade now, which is a lot of time and, you know, it's constantly changing and, you know, I'm not passionate, right? As we were talking about earlier, I'm not passionate about it like I once was and that's okay, like, but I'm good at it um, and I can provide a lot of value, you know, to companies doing it. And sometimes that's, you know, that's all you need. What are some of the lessons that you've learned from doing your consulting work? Because I think being a consultant is the perfect bridge between being an employee and running a more scalable business. Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, for, for a little bit, the first three to four months after I got laid off, I was basically consulting full time. And then, you know, evenings and such was trying to carve out some time for, you know, getting started on Credo and fixing the site as it was at that point. It was a different brand name and kind of getting it to a point where I could do a launch. And then I did that and then uh, had to go through a rebranding. And yeah, and I mean, it's, it's really a lot of managing your time. Generate, getting consulting clients isn't really a challenge for me because I'm, I'm fairly well known in the SEO world and you know have a specific niche like type of website that I work on. And so basically if a website that has more than 100,000 pages, that's a pretty good brand that's dealing with technical SEO issues, you know, and needs a like seasoned consultant to come in and kind of guide them and work with their team to get things done. Like I'm their guy and I know that I can close those projects. So the Legion part was never hard for me. And, and to this point, hasn't been a challenge for me even now. Like I still, you know, turn people away that want to work with me directly or I, I put them through Credo. So it's nice to have that for sure. And that's, I mean, that's why I started the business in its first, uh, first incarnation as well, five and a half years ago. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it's all about time management. But one thing that I've learned is it's also really hard. Once your business gets to a certain point, you know, once your side project, let's say, you know, like Credo was when I first started working on it, when I first went out on my own a couple of years ago, it was kind of a side project that was like, all right, let's see if this can get going and be a bigger part, you know, of my business's revenue. So it was all about managing time. And, but at some point, the time that you put into consulting or, you know, something like that almost becomes a liability because you have so much to do with your other business. Because, okay, it's working quite hard. It's working quite well, but maybe it's not quite profitable. And so, you, you know, you cut back on consulting a little bit and revenue goes up, but then it's not quite up enough that you're profitable. And so you have to pick up more consulting and then business, right. you know, uh, slows. So Brian Castle, um, a productize and scale talks about this quite a bit um, as well. And I've, uh, the way he kind of frames, he was at microcomp, the way um, he frames it has really helped me think about it as well. So yeah, it's all about, all about that time management part there. And I, I pretty quickly realized I didn't want to do just consulting. I could have easily done that. I could have easily started, you know, a traditional agency. And that's just not the kind of business I wanted to build. You mentioned being pretty well known in the SEO world. A lot of other people here listening in are, are trying to build an audience and trying to become well known in whatever area in which they're an expert. What are sort of the mechanics behind how you became well known? And is that something that you fostered intentionally? Or did it just sort of happen? I wouldn't say I really fostered it intentionally. I basically set out to make friends and I ended up making friends with a lot of uh, pretty uh, influential people in the SEO world. And, you know, a lot of them are still friends of mine and people that I interact with on almost a daily basis. And some of them I've done business with and business, I would say, is all about relationships, but, you know, not also not going into them and being like, I'm going to meet so-and-so so that I can become a you know, a celebrity in the SEO world or in the, you know, jQuery world. Like it's not, that, that's not what it is. It's actually like, you know, being a, being an interesting and nice person and, you know, looking to provide value where you can. But I would say one of the biggest things that uh, going back to, you know, I, I mentioned that I blogged twice a week for almost three years on my personal site. And I, I literally just set out to teach everything that I know or that I was learning. So I gave away free tools and I wrote about, you know, different trends in the industry and, uh, you know, wrote very specific things about, you know, link building and 
technical SEO and, and what have you. I mean, this was 2011 to 2013. It was a very different kind of environment than in the, you know, in the digital marketing world. Things have changed a lot over the last five years. But yeah, I, I, wrote, a ton, I wrote a ton and you know, I promoted it and people started linking to me. And um, you know, so my site kind of grew over time. And so I've gained a, just a big following you know, on my personal site, which the following's not that big anymore, but gained a big following on Twitter. And you know, that enabled me to, to launch and you know, kind of build credo in its initial stages, get initial traction. So building an audience, I, I still think one of the best ways to do it is to teach everything that you know. It's perfect that you've got a blog and your skill set lies in SEO and marketing because those are two of the best skills that you can use to grow a blog and build your online presence. You mentioned that a lot of it comes down to teaching everything that you know, and I think a blog is great for that as well because it's going to be frequented by people who don't know what you do and are coming to learn. But how do you flip that around and reach out to people who know more than you? How do you approach somebody who is famous or influential or someone who's extremely knowledgeable and provide value in a way that they can appreciate? Yeah, I'd say it's just a matter of engaging with them. Twitter is one of the best things that's happened to me, you know, as a business. I wouldn't say it's one of the best things that's happened to the world, but it's been good to me. I would basically just find, you know, just see who's writing interesting things, follow them on Twitter, engage with them, ask them questions, share it, ask them deeper questions, eventually take it to email. If you're at a conference, make sure to, you know, say hi to them and just engage in conversation there. People can tell if you're, you know, trying to to meet them because, you know, there's someone or if you're, you know, if you're genuinely adding value across the board. So, and it's hard in the, you know, in the internet world, like there is so much noise and what one kind of mantra that I try to live by and, you know, I don't always succeed in it, but basically trying to be like a real and a nice person. Some people are like, oh, I'm just being real when really they're just being an asshole. But instead, uh, you know, actually not calling someone a jerk, you know, or not like putting, you know, personal zings in, you know, into a tweet to someone when you disagree with something that they wrote in a blog post. And maybe that's very like soft, but I think it actually does help you to connect, um, you know, with people being a nice, you know, a nice and, and helpful person to them. Totally. And I know a lot of people get a lot of email. I get a lot of email. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that people, when they reach out to others, aren't, aren't the best at understanding how to provide value and, and, and be useful. It's, it's almost always like, can you help me do my thing? Now, one of my good friends now, Julian, he was actually, I had him on the podcast, I think it was episode number 17 or something. But he's one of the few people who reached out to me early on when I was working on Indie Hackers. And he was like, hey, I see that you are starting a podcast and I see that you've got sponsors. I've worked a lot with sponsors. Let me just give you some free tips on the best way to go about getting sponsorships and talk about how they look at things from their perspective. And it was so useful and valuable to me because he actually understood what challenges I was going through and anticipated those and then gave me all this useful information that I wouldn't have been able to find otherwise. And it made me really want to help him however I could as well. So going back to what you said, being able to provide value to somebody is such a great way to build a connection. And it's, it's pretty rare. It's surprisingly rare that people take the effort to do that. Yeah, totally. And you know, I, I think another thing there is emailing someone, basically asking them for their advice, right? And not making like a huge ask and expecting a huge, uh, you know, a huge thing back. But one thing that I like to do is email someone and be like, hey, I saw that you were talking about, you know, someone that's pretty influential saying, hey, I saw that you were talking about such and such. I've been thinking about that for my business. Can I ask you a couple questions, right? So then they're basically opting into it. And they're like, yeah, sure, send them over. So you send them, you know, two, three questions that don't resp- that don't require a super long answer, a long-winded answer. And people are super happy to do that. I'm always amazed at, at how helpful some of the most like influential people I know are just because they're like, yeah, they're like, I've been through it. I'm happy to share, happy to, you know, help you get to the next level and learn from my own, you know, learnings. And then that establishes a relationship right there. And then you can email them in the future. You can ping them interesting, you know, something you saw or, you know, there's one CEO of a well-known company that uh, a couple years ago, I helped him out with something. And from time to time, I'll see his name pop up in the news. I'll just email him and be like, hey, I saw this. Good work. And, you know, he'll respond with like a smiley face or something like that. But it doesn't even have to be like a super deep connection. It's not someone you're emailing with on a daily basis or, you know, he's not a mentor of mine, but it's just like, you know, these are good relationships to have and they're good, interesting people. So, you know, be a, be a human in that. I like what you say about making it easy for people to respond because anyone worth emailing is probably somebody who's very busy. And if you can provide the necessary context for them to understand and you can keep your emails short and you can ask questions that don't require a gigantic time investment on their part, then they're much more likely to actually get back to you. And I think the skill set is also the skill set that you need to run a company. You need to be able to empathize with your customers and the cost that they're going to have to pay to use your product. Similarly, if you're going to email somebody, you need to empathize with their situation and the cost that it's going to take them to answer and respond to your email. Absolutely. Let's talk about how you started Credo. What gave you the initial idea to start working on this particular product? Yeah, so the initial idea, gosh, Corlin, this was uh, 
end of 2012. So it's been ancient six years. history. Yeah, ancient history now in, in the internet years. Um, it's basically a teenager now. Feels like it some days. So I was working at an agency in New York City and was doing some consulting on the side. And basically, I'd gotten a promotion and uh, my boss had left the company. And so I had taken over some of those responsibilities. And I started doing some consulting uh, while I was working at the agency because I just I needed a little bit of extra uh, income. And so I, you know, picked it up and, you know, was doing that kind of evenings and weekends and got to the point where I didn't need that work. And so basically decided that I wanted more time in my life. I wanted more margin in my life. I was living in Brooklyn and was basically 28 years old living in Brooklyn. I was single and was spending a couple weekends a month in my apartment by myself doing work for clients for money that I didn't need. And so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna stop doing this. Told my clients, they're like, well, who should we work with? I'm like, oh, I don't know. And so I had other people come to me, wanting to work with me. Hey, I'm not taking on consulting. Well, who should we work with? Well, I don't know. So I literally built out a Google sheet of people that I knew in the industry that I trusted and started referring work to them. And, you know, I just email and be like, Hey, I'm getting in all these leads. Can I refer work to you? And they're like, yeah, great. What do you need? And so I just like put together their, you know, budget levels they worked with, the, you know, size of their team, the types of services they offered, and then would just introduce people to them. And then I basically realized that lead generation turns out is a big business. And so I uh, got in a lead that was uh, perfect for a buddy that um, runs an agency in Utah that they just started up about eight six, eight, 10 months before something like that. And I basically emailed him and was like, Hey man, I just got in this lead that, you know, uh, I think is a great fit for you. Would you be willing to pay 50 bucks for it? Um, and he was like, yeah, what's your PayPal? So three minutes later, I had 50 bucks in my personal PayPal account. I sent him the, the intro and I went and bought a domain name and threw it up on some shared hosting that I had. So, you know, it's, it's been boosted, bootstrapped in, in the black since day one. But yeah, it was literally built out of a need where I wanted more time in my life. And basically just had to solve the problem of I have people coming to me wanting me to do work for them and I'm not doing work for them. So I didn't just want to say no, I wanted to provide value there. Why did you feel so strongly about providing value there? Because I think most people in your situation would have just told these people no, or they would have said, okay, here's a few recommendations. But you took the time to build up this entire spreadsheet. What made you feel so strongly about helping? You know, that's a great question. And I honestly don't know that I have a great answer for it. Um, I've just, I've always... I think been a helpful person um, and, you know, saw that these businesses had a very real need and they needed someone good. Um, A couple of the people that came to me had been burned by bad SEO agencies. If you know anything about the SEO world, it's, you know, they're, they're obviously the, the more visible people and, you know, there's the Rand Fishkins and, you know, and those people that are, uh, the Rand is, is not, as in the SEO world as it used to be, but there are a lot of people that are quite well known, but there's also this super seedy underbelly of the industry, right. which you get in some industries, but others you don't. Um, and so I was tired of people hiring you know, a bad agency overseas or even domestically that at best didn't grow their traffic and their business kind of stayed steady um, and at worst hurt their traffic. And you know they actually ended up wasting money and also you know their business got smaller and all of that. So yeah, I, I kind of wanted to, to solve that problem. Yeah, I think it's fascinating as well to be in an industry where trust and quality are, are big issues. It counts so much more to be a genuinely helpful, trustworthy person. It vastly increases the number of people who want to work with you and increases sort of the service area of your luck as well. Because when you have these people who you help. They want to help you. And that's, in a lot of ways, the essence of luck, people coming out of nowhere to sort of help you out. Yep, exactly, exactly. Uh, and yeah, if, if you're in an industry that, you know, isn't super trusted, being someone that that can be, uh, then that's a that's definitely a way to set yourself apart. Uh, and, and I wish it, I wish it wasn't, you know, I wish there weren't like people that were doing bad work for clients. But, you know, we deal with the reality that we're given. So I hear a lot about consulting businesses turning into product businesses. You mentioned Rand Fishkin. He's a, one of the canonical examples of him creating Moz out of his consulting business. And I think this happens in part because people spend so much time as consultants interacting with their clients and customers and companies that they end up unearthing these valuable problems that are worth solving. But obviously things don't work out this way for everybody and some people end up never stumbling onto a good idea. So what do you think are some of the levers that people can pull on to unearth good ideas in the course of doing their normal job or their consulting work? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great, great question. Um, you know, and, and the advice that's often given is to solve your own problem. So that starts with identifying the problems that you have, uh, you know, and figuring out scalable ways to solve those. So let me, let me talk about that a little bit more in detail. Basically, what, what I do and what I like to tell people to do is look at the things that you're doing constantly. Uh, 
what are the things that you're you know doing manually that you shouldn't that that you don't have to do manually right and maybe this is uh, I I think about it this way because you know I have a web development background and you know you probably think about it this way where you're like wait why are you why am I doing this thing you know manually here I can you know store all this information in this one place and click this one button and all this co- information gets combined and gets emailed out to someone right and I don't have to copy paste and put it into my email system into my uh, into a you know a compose window within my email and send it out like I can automate that stuff basically what I do is what I've done is look for areas where I can kind of streamline uh, solutions to problems that I have, um, you know, and, and making it more scalable that way. And then, you know, also seeing, is it a problem that somebody else has, you know? So for me, it was, uh, when I started at Credo, it was, I have all these leads coming to me and, you know, I need somewhere to send them. And I also know that agencies are always looking to get, you know, not just more, but also better and better qualified leads. And so, you know, there was a, there was a need there and it's something that people are willing to pay for. So, you know, I've, I've come across, so many, you know, th- this is what most SaaS businesses are, right? It's something that people have been doing themselves. They've been doing manually. And now there's this tool, there's, you know, this company that they can subscribe to or whatever, that's going to help them do something better. Um, you know, it's going to solve a problem that they have there. So I think that's one way that that a lot of consultants and a lot of consulting companies can go into products, whether that's info products or SaaS products or what have you. But there is, I will t- I will say that there is a very, very real difference between running a consulting company and running a product company. It is night and day. There are things like, you know, customer support and, you know, development and sprint planning and, you know, wh- whatever it is, all the things that go into building a product, you don't do those in a, you know, in a consultancy, um, you know, or working directly with clients. Um, it's a very different sort of touch and you kind of have to figure out which one you're better at and which one you enjoy more as well. Uh, Cause some people really enjoy the, you know, going deep with clients and going on site with them and, you know, that sort of life. Other people enjoy the, you know, more scalable and, you know, having a lot of customers, all of them paying you a few dollars as opposed to having a few customers, everyone paying you a lot of money. So they're very, very different approaches. I like what you said about, uh, solving your own problem and in combination, making sure that other people have that problem as well, which was definitely the case for you because you had people asking for these referrals and you also had to manage the spreadsheet yourself. And it was also the case for ND hackers. I mean, I started ND hackers because I wanted to find examples of people starting these profitable businesses and I was sort of scouring the internet trying to do it. And then I realized other people were scouring the internet too. I could see them leaving comments and see them talking about it online. So it was sort of a problem that I had and a problem that other people had. So I think that's great advice and other people should follow it as well. Let's talk about you getting Credo off the ground. Because another thing people struggle with is taking those first few steps. And it's very easy to overshoot and bite off way more than you can chew, at which point you never really get version one of your product out the door. But with Credo, you had the spreadsheet. You know, you sort of started off with like the minimum viable product and you sort of charged your friend over PayPal without building much infrastructure at all. Where did you go from there when you ever worried about biting off more than you can chew and building some big complex product? I've definitely bitten off more than I can chew. So let's not, um, let's not get confused about that. There's definitely a lot that goes into it. And, you know, anyone that knows me will tell you that, that knows me well will tell you that I, I put in a lot of hours. You know, I, I don't have to work the 90, 100 hour weeks now that I did at the beginning, but, you know, there are definitely those weeks at the beginning. So the way the, the narrative kind of goes is, um, so yeah, I got, I got laid off into September of 2015 and basically said, okay, I'm going to pick up some consulting to cover my bills. And uh, I basically started working on the site. So as, as you said, I had the, the Excel spreadsheet and basically had a website up that was like, are you looking to hire an SEO agency? Get in touch with us and you know, we'll help you find one. You know, but there are no public profiles or anything like that. And so basically the first thing I did was clean up the site, you know, kind of dusted off my code chops and uh, got, it, you know, got it back to um, at least something I wasn't embarrassed to share. And then I uh, figured out how to do public profiles on the site and, um, and then did a launch on, um, on product hunt actually in, in November of that year of 2015 and, um, you know, got an initial spike in traffic and, you know, had some people coming in looking to hire. And, but basically at that point, my business model was I listed, uh, agencies and consultants on the site for free. I vetted them out by, you know, speaking with them on the phone and, uh, you know, seeing a couple asked them for a couple of their clients. I could go look at SEMrush and tools like that to kind of make sure the numbers are going in the right direction. And then I list them 
um, you know, didn't really have a monetization model that way. And then once they, uh, when they signed contracts, then I got paid uh, a commission for a few months on that. So, you know, it wasn't a super, uh, it's not a scalable business model. It's not one that I would recommend that anyone invest in long term, unless you're the one actually selling the work, in which case you can, you know, take a cut and you also have more control over actually closing projects. But it got me started. Um, And then from there, you know, I, I invested down in content marketing and started generating more leads and then took a couple months off of consulting to build out the first version of the Credo product, which uh, was basically a marketplace where someone could come in and list their uh, list their project. And then uh, eventually we built in an email system that would uh, send the, the lead out, send the project out to uh, consultants and agencies that were paying to be uh, listed on the platform after they were vetted out once again. So no one's listed unless they've been vetted out by me, seen a couple of their clients. Most of them spoke with them on the phone. Even to this day, that's how it is. But you know, I, I moved to this like pure subscription model simply because I was like, you know, the the lure of recurring revenue, right? Which we all love in the in the indie hackers world. And and it worked. And I, I basically went from uh, so in September of 2015, I did about $80, $80 in revenue with the lead business. In December of that year, I did about five thousand. It had gone down to about thirty five hundred by that next April when I launched the, you know, the membership site. And I hit six figures in annual revenue, so eighty three hundred ish dollars a month that September. So five months later, um, and then as I said, right now we're around uh, twenty to twenty five k. You mentioned working eighty, ninety, hundred hour weeks in those early days. Why were you working so much? What was top of mind, and what took so long? And if you could go back in time, is there anything you could do to work less, or do you think it was necessary for you to get what you were trying to do off the ground? I think it was necessary. I don't know that I could have done it in another way. Like there are so many different things to figure out. Uh, you know, I, I think I probably could have done some more research and kind of, you know, spoken with some more people that try to do this sort of business in the past and, you know, learn from them and kind of set myself up for, for success better. So if I could go back, I would, I would do that again, or I, w- I would do that because um, I didn't do a lot of it at the beginning. But, you know, as I said, I was doing a lot of consulting and I was trying to get this business going. So it was kind of necessary for me. And um, yeah, I, you know, if, if I could go back, uh, the, yeah, the things I would change would be talking to a lot more mentors, doing a lot more research on the industry um, and on the business models that I, you know, should have had from the start, you know, but sometimes you really do, you really do have to dig in and it teaches you a lot. Um, you know, you're doing a lot, of, a lot of things manually. I'm, I'm still a big fan of Paul Graham's do things that don't scale. But you can also only do things that don't scale to an extent, right? To doing things that don't scale gets you to a start, and then you realize where the problems are, and then you have to think creatively and, and build the solutions to those. So, yeah, that, that's kind of uh, how it went. Would I do anything differently? I mean, in retrospect, you know, it's uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Like, yeah, there's you know, there's a bunch of things I would have done differently. Probably would have a co-founder, you know, would have started building a team earlier. But you know, I, I don't regret any of it. I think there's this interesting dichotomy between learning from your own experiences and learning from other people. And you mentioned that, that you would go back and, and talk to more mentors and talk to people who sort of done what you were trying to do before you did it so you could learn from their mistakes. How have you shifted that balance as Credo has grown? I do have a business coach that I've been working with for about a year and a half. I, you know, I pay him monthly and we do a few calls a month and he's helped me out a lot with uh, revenue model optimization and, you know, product launches and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, th- that's something I would have, you know, prioritized earlier, though I didn't necessarily have the revenue to hire a coach at that point. So, so it was kind of, uh, so at that point it was mentors and, and there's definitely a difference between coaches and mentors. Uh, coach is someone that you pay. And, uh, you know, a mentor is someone that they're, you know, a bunch of steps ahead of you in their career, and they're willing to give you a little bit of their time and share some knowledge with you. So I I also have those and those have been intros, you know, through friends. And once again, you know, just engaging with them online. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm always super grateful when they give me, you know, some of their time and some of their direction. And, you know, those have been some of the more influential things. Uh, but then it's also good to have someone, you know, there like kind of in it with you, you know, a coach, um, you know, those, those people that have co-founders, you know, I think that's, that's really nice as well. Um, you know, just someone else to be going through it with you and, you know, four hands is better than two. So yeah, that's definitely, definitely, definitely changed as the business has grown. I've been a lot better at reaching out, you know, to people and asking for help. Walk me through this process of finding mentors and finding, a business coach, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs neglect to do either one of these things. How did you actually go about finding a business coach? And what are some of the decisions that you've made that are better as a result of you having these other people helping you out? 
Yeah, that's a really, really, really good question. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure I have an awesome answer. Um, I think for a lot of people, it becomes a, a stroke of luck. It's a stroke of luck and luck is hard to replicate. But uh, so I found, uh, so the mentors I've, uh, I have were mostly introductions through friends. So I was kind of struggling with, with growing my business. And, you know, as I said, like revenue was like 5k four months after launch. And then three months after that, it was, you know, down, hadn't grown at all and was actually down about 30%. Um, and so I was just talking to a buddy. He's like, Oh, you should talk to my friend, Chris. And, you know, I, I can do an email intro if he's willing. And, you know, I bet he'd be willing to hop on a call. And we did. And Chris was like, within about five minutes, Chris was like, wait, so you're doing this and your business model is this, that's completely wrong. This is how you should do it. And that's why I launched the membership site and the, the subscription uh, business model. So, you know, it, it was basically through talking to friends, talking to people, um, you know, that I trusted. Um, and then, you know, they were willing um, to help me out. So that's kind of how I got connected up with my mentors, just through connections like that. And then with a business coach. So, you know, I'm running a bootstrapped business and came across um, to this company called The Foundation, which basically helps people, you know, start, start and scale profitable businesses. And so one of the co-founders of that, Andy um, Drish, who is still my coach, um, he did a, he called it the, the Bootstrapped Software Summit, um, where basically it was three days and it was uh, like eight interviews a day. And the first one was like people doing like zero to 100K uh, a year, people doing 100K to a million a year, and then people that were doing, you know, seven figures a year in revenue. And, you know, so basically had it broken up like that. I discovered it one day and was like, well, this is all I'm doing today. And just like watched all those interviews. And it was, you know, Andy was interviewing people like Nathan Berry of ConvertKit and Dan Martell, um, you know, who founded Clarity and a bunch of other um, sites. And, uh, you know, so some of them were foundation students and, and a lot of them weren't. Um, and so I just learned a ton. He provided a ton of value there. And so I followed Andy, uh, went to his blog and found some of the stuff he had been writing and subscribed to his email list. And, you know, he has a, a smart email follow-up that I've implemented that it's like, hey, Andy here, uh, you know, curious why you subscribed. Uh, you know, hit reply and let me know. Just straight up, plain text. And so I responded was like, this is who I am and, you know, this is what I'm doing. Um, and this is why I subscribed because I came across, you know, on the Bootstrap Web Summit. And he responds, he's like, hey, I'm starting to do some consulting and really good at helping people go from like 100K a year to 700K a year in revenue. Uh, would you be interested in chatting? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was open to it and basically didn't know where to go with my business. And, you know, he's helped me get to the next level. So, um, you know, I, I basically found the person that uh, is good at doing exactly what I was trying to do. That was also, you know, two, three steps ahead of me in their career, in their like entrepreneurship journey. Um, and then, yeah, just connected with them, subscribe to their email list and just started interacting with them. And it led to him being my coach for the last 18 months. Obviously, you have a lot of knowledge as a marketer and an SEO expert, and that's played into how you've grown your company. What are some of the bigger milestones and some of the inflection points in how Credo's revenue has grown and how you've improved your business? You mentioned one being talking to your first mentor who sort of suggested that you switch business models. Are there any more like that? Well, there are a couple. First one was when I first launched the membership uh, site, and you know, it's still a, a membership on the site to, to be listed and you know, to receive work from me. Um, once again, after, after they're vetted out, I initially had it like a self-serve model where, um, and I had three different pricing models and basically people could sign up. And you know, whenever you launch something, you get a couple early adopters and then it kind of like troughs. And dies out a bit, and it had done that, and I, and I was getting people applying that weren't necessarily a good fit, and so I was like, huh, I should add some friction into here and make them apply, and then I'll hop on the phone with them, and then if they're approved, then I can send them how it works, and you know, send them a link to sign up, um, and I did that, and basically the number of people applying like jumped immediately. Um, I actually got to have conversations with people and could figure out if someone was going to be a good fit. And then I also had their information and that relationship that could follow up with them if they didn't sign up and make sure everything was going well. Um, so that was actually weirdly an inflection point. I added, uh, I added friction uh, to the process of signing up and paying me, um, and it worked really well. So you know your mileage may vary with that tactic or with that strategy. Um, and then the other one was uh, I basically realized that jobs were not closing, jobs being submitted to the you know the the marketplace functionality weren't really working, wasn't really working. Those jobs weren't closing um, with agencies. And so I decided to go back to the high touch model of basically talking to people that are looking to hire someone and going deeper with them. And what are your needs and what's important to you in an agency or a consultant and that sort of thing. 
and so th- that's also been another like inflection point, you know, and so, and with that, I raised my prices as well. And so I have fewer customers that I'm sending leads to actively, sending projects to actively, but they're all much happier. Um, and my business is more profitable and it doesn't take, you know, a ton of time. I don't have a hundred people, you know, paying me expecting, you know, X number of, uh, you know, leads or, or, you know, X amount of budget, like in new leads per month. Um, you know, it's much fewer and I'm able to provide them a, be- a better service. Yeah, in both of those cases, you weren't afraid to add friction. You weren't obsessed with scalability, and so you injected yourself into this process. And in a way, it made you a bottleneck for sure, but also because you're charging a high enough price point, it didn't really matter, and you could still run a profitable operation. And I think a lot of us, especially developers and product people, we become obsessed with scalability, and we end up adding feature after feature and lowering the price to something crazy like $5 a month in hopes that we'll make it up in numbers. And that leads to all sorts of customer support nightmares and scalability headaches, Uh, Often it's better just to charge more and then you don't have to worry so much about scalability and you could actually provide better service to customers by being part of the experience yourself. Yeah, totally. It it definitely, definitely does help. Um, I'm definitely still a bottleneck. I think all founders are, but you know, when you actually create that margin um, in your business, then it enable it enables you to do great things like hire people that are better at things than you are. So I, yeah, I, I think that's a great point. You know, no one ever built a million dollar company, or, you know, a multi-million dollar company by charging people $5, you know, a month, you know, even the ones that, you know, might have that cheap, like starting tier, like, you know, Buffer, I think theirs is like, I don't know, 10 bucks a month, something like that. And they may have raised that, but like they have enterprise levels that I'm sure they charge a lot more. It's, uh, yeah, th- there's definitely like, there's more friction there, but it's also because I'm adding a lot more value and people are, w- are willing to pay for that. Right. And so because of that, I don't experience the churn that like, you know, a, a low price SaaS business, that's just like kind of a utility and not something that's necessary for them to grow their business. So I mentioned that developers have this weakness of focusing too much on the product, too much on the code. Do you think that coming from a marketing background, you have an analogous weakness or bias that you need to counteract as a founder? Absolutely. I mean, Credo is definitely a marketing first company, which is, which is good. Cause then, you know, you get you in one way in that you generate the audience and then you're like, okay, like what needs am I solving? What needs am I not solving? And then you can kind of move to that. But, you know, I will deprioritize, you know, product development and, you know, and that sort of thing, you know, I deprioritize design and, you know, and all of that. And that's probably, you know, hurt my company, but, you know, like all founders, I, you know, I, it, it's your baby and you have a hard time, you know, trusting people and hiring good people. And, you know, I, I think that's, uh, that, that's something that, uh, that founders all, you know, kind of deal with. Um, and definitely something that I've dealt with as well. Um, though, hopefully, you know, gotten a bit better at it in the last year or so. Prioritization is tough. And you talked about this when you talked about starting your consulting business and about how much better you needed to get at prioritizing in order to be able to run your business efficiently. I think a lot of people, when they hear terms like time management, they think about, how do they maximize the amount of time they spend working and minimize the amount of time they don't spend working, the amount of time they spend distracted. But in reality, they should be thinking about how to be more efficient with the time that they do spend working. Because there's, at any given time, an infinite number of things you can choose to do, and most of them aren't that helpful. And even among the things you can do for your business that are helpful, some of them are like 10 or 100 or 1,000 times more helpful than other things. And so it's not just about you know working more. More important than that is just working on the right things. How do you decide what the right things are to work on for a credo? You know, things that I'd like to work on. I wish I could spend all day writing, um, you know, in marketing. But there's you know a lot of operations stuff that has to happen. That you know I've had different people in those roles, and you know trying to kind of backfill some of them so I can focus on the things that I'm you know better at, and you know doing better customer development and or persona development, and kind of figuring out what are the true needs of the people coming to the site, right? Who is our audience actually, and what are they actually looking for? So, you know, as you said, it's very easy to, to get bogged down. Um, one thing I've learned from, uh, I believe it was the four hour work week or maybe something else that Tim Ferriss wrote was um, I have a, a three times a day reminder on my calendar that it says, are you being productive or just busy? You know, are you, are you actually doing things that are going to move the business forward? Or are you just like, doing things that, you know, you can do. Um, and, you know, not there's anything wrong. You have to do those things, right? And if your business isn't going to like go anywhere without doing them, like you have to do it. But like, it reminds me to think like, okay, where do I want this business to go? And then are the things that I'm working on the highest leverage things? If not, and I'm not able to stop doing the things and, and we can't just like overall as a business, stop doing the things I'm currently working on. How do I hire someone else to do that so that I can focus on the productive things? I can focus on the things that are going to move the business forward. So it's a constant sense check there. Yeah, I think about things similarly with ND hackers. I've got sort of all these tasks for maintaining the status quo and keeping the business running, you know, just staying afloat. 
And then I've got these impactful tasks, which rather than just moving me along the same trajectory, have the potential to shift me onto an entirely better trajectory. What are the impactful tasks that you are considering for Credo and what's going to have to change to shift you from you know, making several hundred thousand dollars a year to making a million dollars or more per year? Yeah, I need to hire a good team. I need to hire people that are you know, really good at sales and sales development and uh, that sort of thing so that I can focus on audience development and uh, you know, the things that I'm really good at. So that's, that's the number one thing that's keeping me from being able to grow um, at this point. So that's something I'm actively working on, working on becoming a better manager and defining the roles that you know, I'll need to have. So you know, I, I think it's that. And then I think it's also, you know, as I've alluded to, you know, meeting the needs of the customers. So or the audience. So, you know, whether that's, um, well, by the time this comes out, this will be launched. So I'm launching a full-time digital marketing jobs board because people are always like, Hey, can you help me find a full-time SEO consultant or, or sorry, a full-time SEO manager? I'm like, I'm not a recruiter. Right. Um, so, but people want to be able to, you know, advertise to an audience like the, you know, 20,000 plus marketers I've come to my site every month. So, you know, I'll provide that. And there are other things like that. There's education stuff and that sort of thing that so kind of expanding, uh, revenue channels as well. We are approaching the end of our time here. I have so much more I want to ask you, but why don't I close out by asking what your advice is for other people who might not have taken the plunge yet, but who want to be a founder in the same way that you are? How can they learn how to hire and manage people? How can they learn how to prioritize well? And where are all the hats that come with being a founder? Yeah, so I, I kind of alluded to this earlier with you know uh, with mentors and such. Like, find the person that has done this before and read everything they've put out. Right, if they put out YouTube videos, watch those YouTube videos. If they write blog posts, read those blog posts, and just learn as much as you can, and then reach out to them with specific questions. That's how you get better at it. And then you kind of have to go. You have to go out and implement it. There's no substitute for hard work, unfortunately. So, so yeah, it's it's all about actually going out and shipping. You know, as uh, Peter Levels like to say, likes to say, like, what are the five things that are going to move your business together, uh, move your business forward the best? Shipping, 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 and shipping. Right? You have to keep on shipping. You have to keep on learning um, and getting new things out there and kind of getting that feedback. Well, thanks so much, John, for joining me on the show. Can you tell listeners where they can go to learn more about you and the things you're working on at Credo, and also what's going on in your personal life if you share that stuff? Yeah, for sure. So my website is getcredo.com, G-E-T-C-R-E-D-O.com. Um, and the best place to get in touch with me personally is on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash Doherty, J-F, D-O-H-E-R-T-Y-J-F. Um, and my personal website, which I blog about once a month right now, more entrepreneurship-related topics is johnfdoherty.com. All right. Thanks so much for coming on the show, John. Thanks, Cortland. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you want a really easy way to support the podcast, why don't you head over to iTunes and leave us a quick rating or even a review? If you're looking for an easy way to get there, just go to ndhackers.com slash review, and that should open up iTunes on your computer. I read pretty much all the reviews that you guys leave over there, and it really helps other people to discover the show, so your support is very much appreciated. In addition, if you are running your own internet business, or if that's something you hope to do someday, you should join me and a whole bunch of other founders on the ndhackers.com website. It's a great place to get feedback on pretty much any problem or question that you might have while running your business. If you listen to the show, you know that I am a huge proponent of getting help from other founders rather than trying to build your business all by yourself. So you'll see me on the forum for sure, as well as more than a handful of some of the guests that I've had on the podcast. If you're looking for inspiration, we've also got a huge directory full of hundreds of products built by other indie hackers, every one of which includes revenue numbers and some of the behind the scenes strategies for how they grew their products from nothing. As always, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.